Tonight we're going to see, study the first half of the chapter, two parables, and hopefully next week, at God's will, we'll look at the rest of the chapter, the last parable. This is uh, just a little bit of background. This is material that we used in our youth group studies. We this past three, four months, we were studying different parables in the New Testament, and these three parables we covered in in our study. So I'm kind of recycling a little bit of the material. I apologize for the youth listening. It's going to be uh, a lot of the material they have seen already, but hopefully, the God will bless uh, God will bless the congregation, not only the youth, to learn a little bit more more about these parables and their implications and applications for our lives. Uh, I hope you have your your Bible open in Luke 15. I'm going to start reading in the first verse. Then all the tax collectors and sinners drew near to him to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he spoke this parable to them, saying, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. Or what a woman having 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp. Sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls her friends and neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which is lost. Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Let's pray. Dear Lord, our God, our Heavenly Father, creator of all the universe, we ask for your help as we read and study these parables, these two parables, Lord. We are so feeble and so weak. We understand, Lord, as we are here, many things come into your minds, to our hearts, trying to get in the way of your word. We ask that you would shut those things off, help us concentrate in your word. As for me, Lord, the weak and feeble man I am, may your glory shine. May Christ increase and I decrease. Help us to understand this what's written in your word, and may your Holy Spirit use it to work in us your will. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Now, the title of our study today is Sharing God's Priorities, and this is part one of a two-part study. The context of the chapter, we find Jesus here. This is Jesus talking for most of the chapter. We find Jesus in... Uh, but probably are the last months of his ministry on earth. We read, starting in chapter 14, verse 25, the multitudes were drawn to Jesus. And here in chapter 15, we are told there are at least two groups within that crowd. 
One of them is tax collectors and sinners. They were taken as a group together. Tax collectors were Israelites hired by the Romans to collect taxes from their fellow citizens, the Jews. But they were especially despised and hated by their fellow citizens because they considered them to be traitors of the nation. Not only that, some of them, tax collectors, were famous for exploiting people for their own gain. They were particularly despised. Sinners here, uh, we can understand, is a general term to refer to people that did not follow the Jewish religion properly. They were the irreligious and unrighteous, the outcast of Jewish society. Second part of the second group we have here in the crown are the Pharisees and scribes. And this is standing in a, in a great contrast with the tax collectors and sinners because the scribes and Pharisees was, were considered religious people, were highly respectable people. Pharisees, if you don't know, they were an important Jewish sect at the time of Jesus, uh, the Jesus walked on earth. And uh, they were famous for their devotion to the exact observance of the Jewish religion. They were very stringent and strict in their following of the law. And scribes were the experts in Jewish law, or the lawyers, but also not just the lawyers, lawyers last theologians of the time. Now we hear here, we read that they have, uh, they are saying something about Jesus, this group of scribes and Pharisees. They're complaining about something that Jesus is doing. They say in verse two, at the end of verse two, we, we hear them saying that this man received sinners, this man being Jesus, and it's with them. Now, the scribes and Pharisees did not mingle with people like the tax collectors and blatant sinners. In fact, they considered themselves to be too respectable for that. And in the culture at the time, uh, eating was, uh, there was a great deal about eating. Eating with somebody meant you accepted them, you fellowship with them. And that was a sign of accepting what they do, or at least accepting who they are. Pharisees didn't accept, didn't want to have anything with the tax collectors and sinners, so they did not eat with the tax collectors and sinners. And they're complaining here that Jesus is doing something they thought a Messiah shouldn't do. A Messiah shouldn't go to the lost of their society. That Messiah, they, think, they thought, should come to the religious people and talk to the religious people, do like a, a sort of conference with the religious people instead of going into the alleys and byways and eating and talking to tax collectors and sinners. So this is the context uh, that Jesus in sort of the, the underlying story behind these two, three parables we're gonna to see two today. Now there is a veiled rebuke in verse 2, we see the Pharisees and tax collectors. And it's not a new criticism. We read that in other parts of the gospel, even in the gospel of Luke. We've read that before. They are rebuking Jesus for doing exactly that, reaching to these people that are considered the outcast of their society. Now, Jesus answered by telling them three stories, three little parables. Actually, two little parables and one bigger parable. The three stories follow the same pattern. Lost, sought, found, restored, and celebrated. Lost, sought, found, restored, and celebrated. Five steps. 
if you can put it uh, that way. Now we're going to look at the first parable, the parable of the lost sheep, verses 3 to 6. Now let's read it just to refresh. We just read it, but let's refresh. Jesus starts with a question. What man of you having a hundred sheep? What man of you? Who wouldn't do that? Who wouldn't do that? If you had a, a hundred sheep, wouldn't you do that? That's the question that Jesus is asking to the tax to the Pharisees and scribes. The, the three parables are, we can understand that Jesus talked and uh, was saying them specifically to the Pharisees and scribes. Now, Jesus frames here a picture of sheep farming, a very common scene in Israel at that time. Maybe it's not common for us, but it is com what's common for the people. Now, we see here a hundred sheep. It wasn't very common that a single shepherd would have a hundred sheep, but more that a village would have sheep and they would gather it under the, the, the care of two or three shepherds, shepherds that would then take care of this hundred sheep. So they have a hundred sheep in the night. The sheep are kept in a fold in near the village. But during the day, they take the sheep out, the flock out, and walk in the wilderness trying to find good pasture to let the feed, the feed uh, to feed the sheep. Now, as they are out one day in the pasture or out in the wilderness with the sheep, one chapter shepherd realizes that there is one sheep missing. It's gone. And this is where the story starts. The sheep is lost in verse 4. Now, the sheep is lost. You have to understand that domestic sheep are very fragile animals. They often wander astray. They have no self-defense mechanism. And if, if they are really uh, a great target for predators when they are away from the flock and from the shepherd. In fact, it's interesting the sheep, they alone and by themselves, they can do the most stupid things ever. They can fall down, hurt themselves. If they fall down, they can turn back again on their feet sometimes. Uh, if they get too scared, they may even, and that's that was the funniest thing I found. If sheep are too afraid, they may die of fear because they are such feeble animals and weak animals. So when a sheep is lost, what do you do? What do you do? You have to rush against time because the sheep is in danger. You don't go back to the village and talk to other people. No, no, no. You stop everything, drop everything you're doing and go seeking for the lost sheep. And that's exactly what the shepherd does here. He goes and tries to find it. Now, as he's seeking the lost sheep, we have to understand it's not only his duty, but he's also doing that out of care for the sheep. And he has to do that. And he doesn't know how, how long it will take for him to find the sheep. It can take hours. It can take weeks. Well, it could, probably wouldn't take weeks because he would die before that. But it can take hours. It can take a few days until the sheep is finally uh, not found and considered dead. So it's a it's a... It's the highest priority of the shepherd to find the sheep. And then at a certain point, he finds the sheep somewhere in verse 5. And when he has found it, he lays on his shoulders rejoicing. It's interesting that the shepherd doesn't lay on his shoulders complaining that the sheep got lost again. Or saying, you little dumb thing, you shouldn't get, have gone astray. No, he lays on his shoulder 
this would be a 70 pound animal rejoicing. And now he has to walk all the way home with that 70 pound on his shoulder, probably thinking to himself how he's going to treat the wounds and how he's going to have to care for the sheep for the next few days to hydrate the sheep, to feed it again, to make it strong. But he goes rejoicing, not complaining, rejoicing. And the sheep is probably restored, right? It doesn't, in, in chapter, uh, in verse 5, we see here, he brings the sheep back again and celebrates the sheep. Celebrates. He has so much joy that he calls the neighbors and said, rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. Rejoicing. And then in verse 7, Jesus talks about how this joy is like the joy in heaven. Verse 7, I say to you, likewise, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. Jesus is telling the scribes and Pharisees that God is not like them, the scribes and Pharisees. Actually, God goes after sinners. God is like the shepherd in the story. He seeks the one gone astray. He finds the lost. He restores the broken and rejoices over it. Now, the second parable, Jesus doesn't let, let them think about it. He goes with three parables in a row with the same point. Verse 8, or what a woman having 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it. Coins, this type of coin here is a drachman, a very small coin of one inch diameter. A silver coin that would be probably worth a day of wages. For this woman, it was a precious possession, this 10 coins. Especially because this was a better bartering society. They didn't spend money as we do today. They most of the time just exchange things they've made with neighbors. So something like this, if well kept, could go a long way. Money well kept could go a long way, years. And one day she realizes that a coin is lost. One of them is lost. Where is it? She knows that it's in, in the house somewhere. What does she do? She drops everything and starts a thorough search for the coin. So the coin is lost. Now you have to understand that a typical first century poor house wouldn't have a lot of windows. It would be a brick, made of brick and mud house, uh, sometimes very dirty because it would have compacted floors that would tend to crack and bring it out of dust. So the coin is lost somewhere in the, in the house, but she needs to do some searching because it's not that obvious. Not like we today, we just look around and find things. She would have to turn things to look at every single nook and cranny. She goes searching, she lights a lamp, which is a little bowl clay with oil in it. They would have a little spout with a wick and she would burn the oil to make a little candle. And under candlelight, she goes, takes a broom and sweeps the whole thing, the whole place, looks at every nook and cranny, every corner of the house, trying to find that one coin lost. Now the coin is found. And when she has found it, verse 9, and presumably she puts it in a secure place, then she goes to celebrate. Celebrate with her friends and neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which is lost. Once again, the pattern that we saw in the previous parable. The coin is celebrated. Now, in verse 10, Jesus 
almost paraphrasing what he said in the first after the at the end of the first parable it says again likewise i say to you there is joy in the presence of the angels of god over one sinner who repents now we often say and we remember this that jesus said that he is the good shepherd and the good shepherd gives his life for his sheep these two parables they figure they picture god Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and scribes, and he is saying, well, I'm not like you. I'm doing what God wants me to do. I'm seeking the lost. And if you think about it, he, Jesus, who being in the form of God, he did not consider himself to be robbery, to be equal with God, but him, he made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bond servant, of a slave, and coming, he came in the likeness of man. And being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and even more and became obedient to his father to the point of death, even death on the cross. That's how far he went to seek the lost. That's how far Jesus went. This is just a little preview of what he's going to do in a few months from now in the This passage in seeking the lost, trying to rescue the lost. Now you may think, what do I have to do with that? I'm not a scribe, I'm not a Pharisee, I'm not opposing to Jesus being seeking the lost. I don't have a problem with seeking the lost. Actually, I, I was lost one day. He saw me. I'm really glad he did it. Well, you see, the point here Jesus is making is not just telling that God finds joy in seeking the lost. He's saying implicitly, why aren't you, you, Pharisee and scribe, you that claim to know God, why don't you celebrate with me? Not like the neighbors of the shepherd. You're not like the, the neighbors of the woman. You can't rejoice with me, can't you? And in the last parable, we'll see next week, uh, even more of this, Jesus is driving that home with the last parable. Now, where do you find your highest joy? Where do we as Christians find our highest joy? Is it in some trivial thing, some earthly thing of this world? Is it on some temporal thing, some insignificant thing? Are we taking time and priority and resources, seeking the lost? Are we rejoicing with God? And seeking the loss and finding the loss and bringing the loss out of his state of total uh, desperation. You see, we have, and we often talk about the Great Commission. We've been, God has, Jesus, before going to, uh, ascending to heaven, he said to us that we should make disciples, go and preach the gospel to everybody and make disciples of every, of every nation. Now, the Great Commission is not just about obeying God. As we see here, the Great Commission is about making God rejoice, taking part in the joy and the celebration that is going on in heaven. And when we look around, we have so many opportunities, don't we? We have relatives that are not, they're still lost. Sometimes they sit across us in the table, dinner table. We have neighbors, they're still lost. We have coworkers. They're still lost. Our children here in the chapel, they need, they need the Savior. 
the teens. Talk about youth group. You need the Savior. And we sometimes forget this, that we can take part in God's effort in seeking the lost, talking to them, taking part. Some are some, some Sunday school. We, don't, we, we have a lot of need for, for volunteers. Take part in the joy of seeking the lost. Youth group. We are praying for youth group leaders. You see, the implications of these two parables are gigantic. Either we are with the scribes and Pharisees or with Jesus. Either we are complaining that Jesus is going, losing his time, seeking the lost. Or we, or we are with Jesus, seeking the lost, and finding joy in having them restored, celebrating with him. Again, I ask you, Christian, are you seeking the lost? Because in spreading the gospel, we can take part in the joy of God. We can take part in the joy that is going on in heaven. Only if we allow ourselves to be used by God as an instrument in seeking the lost. Only we, we seek opportunities to search and rescue the lost. It's not going to be by our own effort, but we can take part in the celebration. We can take part in the work that a great shepherd is doing in rescuing his lost sheep. What a glorious way to be with our lives. What a marvelous way to see your day-to-day -day living. Living to serve your Lord. Living to take part in the joy of heaven, the joy of seeking the lost.